Teamwork Arts Podcast, ladies and gentlemen. This is where we try and see if um, uh, we can figure out the process, the thoughts uh, behind uh, the actions that animate the arts. And uh, today, of course, we are honored to have uh, Mr. Bibek Dev Roy here with us. Uh, sir, first of all, thank you very much for your time uh, and uh, uh, for, for being on the Teamwork Arts Podcast. The idea here, of course, I mean, uh, we all know the stellar work that you've uh, uh, done with the government, but uh, here the idea is to um, uh, to take the softer approach towards the words. Uh, so um, uh, there's there's the translation of the Mahabharata. There's uh, the translation of the Ramayana. There's a book of limericks. It seems uh, uh, the, the taste is quite eclectic, sir. Uh, I'm not very. Thank you for inviting me. By the way, I'm not very sure how I sh how I should react to that because there are different forms of writing that I do, and um, well. That's, that's it, that it's, it has a question of time management. The book of limericks, of course, was published a long time ago. But as some of you may very well know, that I do write a limerick every day, even now, five days a week, for the Mint magazine. It's called Mint Metric. Apart from the regular work, I also write for a whole range of newspapers and magazines. And of course, the translations. So each of them is somewhat different. Uh, which one do you, uh, uh, do you enjoy a little more than others? I enjoy all of them. I enjoy all of them. One of my recent books, which has not featured in JLF, is called Inked in India. It is a history of India's fountain pen making. India had a long tradition of making fountain pens and ink and nibs. So while I was writing that, I enjoyed it. I still use fountain pens quite extensively. So I wouldn't try to pick and choose this over the other, other one. Of course, um, there's, uh, there's also uh, the fact that uh, you have uh, written extensively and deeply about religion, even uh, uh, translated the, uh, the religious texts that we have, uh, which is uh, becoming a little bit of a fraught activity in these times. Would you agree? No, I would not, because if you use the word religion, then automatically you display no understanding of these texts. Because the word dharma can only imperfectly be translated as religion. Dharma, depending on the context, means all kinds of different things, and it is completely inappropriate to approach the word dharma with the lens of particularly Christianity and Islam, which perceives religion in a certain sense. The reason today you used an expression like fraught with problems is because people who debate about such issues do not read the original texts. On either side of the divide, they don't read the texts. And my plea is please read the texts. And my plea is if you cannot read Sanskrit, and there's no reason why you should not be able to read Sanskrit, Sanskrit is a reasonably easy language to read, then at least read the translations, if not mine, someone else's. But before you begin to debate, please do read the texts. Do you think also that uh, this is because of the fact that uh, uh, today there is uh, just such a glut of information with the democratization of the... Uh, no, I think this is because today people are lazy. People <laughs> want answers to everything in 140 characters. People want answers to everything in terms of Nescafe instant coffee and two-minute noodles. 
If you do not have the time, then don't bother to engage with these things. But if you want to engage with these things seriously and you do not intend to be flippant, then please find the time. Switch off the mobile for at least half an hour every day. Otherwise, don't bother. <laughs> do you also think this is because of the fact that um, uh, the distinction between uh, information and knowledge as being two distinct forms of uh, 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 of knowledge, so to speak, uh, is getting a little blurred? I am not sure about the difference between information and knowledge, apart from obviously the etymological differences in these two. I would prefer the words Jnana and Vijnana and not try to translate either of them. In their traditional usage, Jnana is what I gather from my teachers, from my gurus, from the sacred texts. Vijnana is what I gather in terms of in inner reflection. If I am going to delve in inner reflection, that means I need to find the time. I need to be silent. There are two words for sages in our texts. One is Rishi, the other is Muni. The word Muni is has the same etymological root as mona, which means silence. Many of the things that have come with the advent of civilization have had pluses, they've also had minuses, whether it is fire or whether it is language. So far as language is concerned, particularly in this technological age, we are obsessed with speaking and talking. We no longer have the time to listen. We no longer have the time to listen to our own selves. And therefore, I stressed the importance of silence. Therefore, I stressed the importance of switching off the mobile for at least half an hour a day. We will take 10,000 steps physically to cut off the clutter and reduce our BMI. We will not spend the same amount of time to declutter our minds. You seem to be quite frustrated with the... Uh, oh, I'm not frustrated <laughs> at all because what you do is your problem. I have no frustration. <laughs> is I'm this, not uh, here to change the world. Sure, uh, but you seem to also have uh, avoided the, uh, the temptation to uh, go for the 280 character shortening of information uh, considering the... Uh, because, most because, because... This is an enormous corpus of knowledge. I don't think it can be dumbed down. If you intend to dumb it down, as I said, don't bother. This is stuff that is serious stuff. It is not amenable to debates on prime television at 9 p.m. and binary statements of yes or no. But do you think that will strengthen their uh, very existence and understanding? By no. Because people who are interested will. People who want to trivialize will trivialize. This has happened down the years in every society. But does it also mean that uh, there is a danger of it being pushed to the fringes because there won't be enough people with the kind of either knowledge or the intent or the sheer patience for it? Regardless of society, regardless of context, regardless of which point in history you are talking about, People who are seriously interested in knowledge has always been at the fringes. It's never been at the mainstream. In terms of bell-shaped curves, people who are seriously interested in knowledge 
belong to the tails, 5%, 1%. I do not think that has significantly changed. Also, what would your advice be to people who want to take up uh, the subjects that you've written uh, on as uh, their own subjects? Well, I'm sort of repeating myself. I already said, if you are interested, find the time. If you are interested, read the stuff in the original. If you are interested, read it in unabridged form. Do not make comments on the basis of the fount of which all wisdom today, which happens to be the internet. Uh, technology, of course, being a double-edged sword, um, uh, you, uh, what are your views on, uh, on the internet per se? I mean, obviously you've uh, uh, expressed one of them, but are there any more? No, it's a tool like any other. I used to teach the bulk of my life I have and one piece of advice that I've always given my students is please ask the question. Why? Where is it? Do not accept something as the truth only because Bibek Devroy or the teacher is stating that. Today, unfortunately, I find that questioning, particularly amongst the young, no longer that prevalent. So, so far as the internet is concerned, the internet is a tool. But having dug up something on the internet, and by the way, the internet has also made copy-paste remarkably easy, as it has the detection of plagiarization. But once you have dug up something on the internet, please go to the roots. Do something that I'm not even going to describe under the profound expression of research. But please dig up that tendency, I think, because of this tendency of 140 characters or 200 characters, 280 characters is disappearing. But as an author, do you see your audiences uh, still interested in turning the pages? Let me very, be very clear. I do unabridged translations. The 10-volume Mahabharata translation that I did runs into 2.25 million words. I do not expect the average reader to read this, to have the patience to read this. The person who is reading the Mahabharata in English for the first time will typically not read my translation. My target audience is not that. My target audience is the reader who has had some exposure to the Mahabharata, let's say in English, has read some version unabridged, has got sufficiently interested to now develop the time and the patience to read the unabridged. So my audience is that. My audience is not an audience where these books will sell 50,000 copies. I'm perfectly happy if they sell 5,000 copies because I am not doing this for today. If I am going to take the Mahabharata as an example, the last two unabridged translations of Mahabharata were done in the 1880s by Kishori Mohan Ganguly and Manmathanath Datta in the 1890s. The Matsa Purana, which I am translating now, the last time it was translated, and that too was not a word-for-word -word translation, was by someone who did not even mention his name called 
He called himself the Tehsildar of Oud, and we are talking about 1920s or thereabouts. Today, after more than 100 years, people are still reading that translation. So it's very clear in my mind, I am not doing this for the contemporary generation alone, I am doing it for posterity, because I do not think there is going to be anyone coming along soon who is going to be mad enough and eccentric enough to try and do what I am trying to accomplish. So 100 years from now, they will be read. Today, if they are read by 1%, I am perfectly happy. <laughs> yeah, the definition of happiness, I mean, who describes it, uh, other than the one uh, creating the, the reason for it. Uh, Mr. Bibek Debroy, ladies and gentlemen, uh, there is food for thought there, especially uh, the importance of uh, questions, which is, uh, of course, becoming a little weaponized, is it not? Uh, the encouragement for asking questions is uh, receding a little, but the question is whether you will listen carefully to the words that, uh, uh, that Mr. Debroy has used um, as far as uh, gathering knowledge is concerned, and if you can do that, that's a good enough first step for the Teamwork Arts podcast. Thank you very much for listening, Mr. Bibek Debroy. Thank you very much. For Just one last word. You can edit it out if you want. Do read the Bhagavad Gita. It says, Pariprashnena pranipatena sevaya pariprashnena. So I do not think asking questions is against our texts. It is there in the text, except as I said, people do not read the text. I repeat, pariprashnena pranipatena sevaya. But, Mr. Nebra, there, there is the question that today if you are asked, uh, if you begin to ask questions, uh, irrespective of what those questions are, uh, there tend to be labels that, need, uh, that, uh, that are put on you, that are sometimes foisted on you, and uh, that has um, sort of weaponized questioning a that's, little, hasn't that's it? That's a generalization. I cannot react to generalizations unless uh, you give me examples. I would say the answers have become much more stereotyped because people, as I said, do not bother to delve. That's good enough for us. <laughs> Thank you, Mr. Vivek Debroy. <laughs>